Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay, you guys, we've got a cool twist to the content that I'm usually putting out here. We've been talking a lot about queer affirming theology, talking around the gay conversation, LGBTQ plus people, their involvement with the church. We're going to go in a new direction today. We're going to address and open up the conversation of deconstruction. Specifically, I'm interviewing a guy named Tim Whitaker. He's the head of the New Evangelicals. They're predominantly known for their content on social media, namely TikTok and Instagram. Tim and I have become friends. I really like this guy. I love what he has to say. Super intrigued, really respect the work he's doing. So I wanna give you guys a couple disclaimers before we get into this interview. Tim is a lot more political than I ever am about anything I talk about, which I appreciate. Um, it's not something I care to get super involved in at this point in my journey. I don't know that I'll be able to keep avoiding that, but Tim is fully emerged in that, um, talking about perspectives and justice and faith and equity and holding accountable the harm that the, the institutional church has brought to the world. And I love what he's saying. Uh, I think it's really important, it's necessary. Something to note is that Tim, at the recording of this, didn't know anything about who I was or what I was doing out here. So I interviewed him in January of 2022, and it was the first time we ever talked to each other in this kind of a context was during this interview. So I want you guys to understand anything he says in this interview is saying, he's saying all this independent of anything that I've ever said. He didn't know me at the time of the recording of these interviews. So I'm very excited to share this with you for you to get to hear from him. This is gonna open up and address a lot of other unspoken dynamics to the work that I've had to do and the process that I've been on that I think is important for every responsible, critical thinking follower of Jesus. This is important work that we all need to be doing and Tim has some really good things to say on this conversation. I'm so excited for you guys to hear from him. Let's get into it. Well, hello and welcome back to Confessions of a Reformer. You guys, I've got a special guest on today that I'm interviewing. The cool thing is he and I have never spoken to each other directly until right now. So all this is going to be raw and new and un, un anything. So I just want to, first of all, acknowledge that, again, anytime I have a, a guest on my podcast, they have complete permission to say whatever they want to say. I'm not interested in censoring their opinions, their perspective, where they're coming from. You guys get to wrestle through, do you care? Do you like it? Are you offended? That's on you. You get to work that out. So Tim has complete permission to say whatever he wants to say today, and I'm not going to censor that. <laughs> well, let me start off by just saying your mustache is a thing to behold, like I said before we started recording. I mean, it is beautiful, and your followers, I hope that they understand the work it takes and the genetics to grow such a full, beautiful mustache. So my, my hats are <laughs> off to you, my friend. Thank you. Those of you guys who are listening to my podcast, you can't see this, but Tim has a very full, oh, robust beard. So, you know, it's he's kind of throwing me some compliment for like being a, a fraction of what his face is capable of. Your but. listeners are already over this. They're like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> Two bros talking about, about their facial hair. Well, so listen, Tim, you run under the handle on social media, the new evangelicals, right? That's your brand or your company, your organization or whatever. So I wanted to just start off this conversation with, first of all, I know there's a lot more to you and everything that's gonna that's involved. So I wanna open this conversation with what is the new evangelicals? 
We're just here to burn everything down. I'm just kidding. We're not here to do that. Sometimes I feel like we are, though. I mean, honestly, the new evangelicals are centered on Jesus, driven by our stories and committed to pushing the church forward together. That's like our our on paper vision statement that kind of encompasses everything that we do. And we're, we are pretty wide as far as what we do. But most of our content, our community things, you know, our our podcast, etc., is aimed on in one of those three different areas, you know, either theology and understanding how to be better followers of Jesus or listening to the stories of survivors and people who have been victimized by evangelical culture or ex exposing the rampant abuse in evangelical culture and talking about ways to either push the church forward and reimagining for our cultural context, new ways to gather as something that we call the church in modern American culture. Is this a, a community? Is this a ministry? Like what it what are oh, you? it's certainly not a ministry let's not start using evangelical language bro i mean come on um no i'm just fooling around but no we're definitely not a ministry you know we are an online i mean legally you know we're currently forming a nonprofit, so that is in the that is on the desk of the irs somewhere um we're, we're waiting for that to be approved so we are a legal entity um most of our work is done online in the social media spaces in the podcast space in the facebook community space and we, we have a website. Um, so that's most of our work. Obviously, with COVID, you know, that really has hampered our plans for just some more in-person gatherings throughout the states. But we, we have met up now. We've done two different events in Spokane, Washington, and in Denver, Colorado. Uh, just meeting up with some people. Some churches flew me out to host, and we just kind of met people from the community. So we have done that twice now. But most of our work is done online. Nice. Love yeah. it. That's awesome. One of my questions for you in your journey, which you might've shared at some point publicly that I just didn't catch, but sure. I want to know what was the turning point for you to realize that you weren't aligned with the American evangelical mm. church anymore? Was there yeah. like a definitive moment or an event or what was that? You know, I get asked that question whenever we do like conversations like this, and it, it, it it's a hard question to answer, but if we had to give one moment that put me in the space that I am in now, okay, so there's a lot leading up to this, but one of the final moments where I started really thinking about how maybe me as a Jesus follower is no longer in sync with the institution that I've been a part of my entire life and have given everything to as a, as a volunteer, as someone who's helped plant churches, as a musician, right? That moment really happened with Trump. I mean, that that was that was the where the blinders really started to really fall off on a systematic level. And honestly, that's a very common one for a lot of people. So I'm certainly not unique in that. But that was the beginning, specifically when Trump got nominated for the Republican candidate as uh, the president, potential potential president. I was like, huh, this is really strange for me because out of all the candidates, there were so many more other qualified people running as Republicans who were much more moderate and just sane at the time. This is early on. This is before things really became what they were. And I remember like hearing just kind of whispers of some evangelicals who were fans of Trump. You know, Jerry, uh, um, Jerry Falwell Jr. came out and said that he's supporting Trump. I thought that's kind of odd. And then when he became the candidate and then the Access Hollywood tapes came out, okay? This is when Trump made the infamous line. He was caught on a hot mic, you know, grabbing women by the you know what. And I'm like, oh, well, this is actually great. This is a slam dunk because I'm 33. So I wasn't super old, but I'm old enough to remember when the Bill Clinton stuff happened, right? And I'm like, great, evangelicals do not tolerate, especially out of all the sins, right? Sexual morality, that is, that is one of the biggest no-goes. And so certainly with these explicit tapes that are vulgar, they, they, they demonstrate sexual assault tendencies, misogyny, you know, 
all of that, this has got to be, Trump is going to be so widely condemned by evangelical leaders. And I was actually kind of giddy. I'm like, well, maybe we'll have like our own political movement. Like maybe we'll, we'll, we'll form our own third party candidate. Like where can we go with this? And then, you know, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. says, no, 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 we need a commander in chief, not a pastor in chief. This is just locker room talk. And when he was widely supported by evangelicals, even in spite of that, that for me was the moment of, oh shit, something is way wrong because the people who as a child taught me about, about sexual purity are telling me to vote for someone who embodies the complete opposite maritally on the cover of Playboy, <laughs> you know, like all this stuff. Um, is right. It, it flies in the face of all I was taught. That was the moment where things started. That was the first major thread that led me to where I am today. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing. Fascinating. So then as a follow-up to that train of thought, I'm curious. Yeah. Just because I, I also think there are people in my world and my audience who don't know you at all and have no idea where you're coming from or the sure. stances or views you have or whatever. So I'd love for them to get to hear more from you on what are some things that you critique against the American evangelical church that stick out as deal breakers for you. Some of them might be like, ah, oh, I don't love this, but some are like, no, this is, we've crossed a line and this is unacceptable at this point. You're asking what are things now for me that are absolute deal breakers for the American evangelical church of being complicit in those systems? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, number one is queer inclusion now. Okay. You know, I didn't always see it that way, obviously. I, I am a product of the evangelical church. You know, I was brought a fundamentalist. I was homeschooled for nine years. So I'm very much am a product of that world. But looking back and now what knowing what I know, especially the more I read American history and seeing and seeing how white evangelicals defended uh, Jim Crow laws, how they defended segregation, they're using the same exact arguments that they use then now to keep the queer folks out of the church. So this you can literally just swap out the word black for queer, and it's the same argument. So for me, that is now a complete deal breaker um, on my end. You know, I, I, I absolutely cannot tolerate anymore the dehumanization of the minority group that is the queer community in America. And also the church owes them not just an apology, but some serious repentance because they have been completely complicit for a long time. I mean, this is going back to the seventies, the eighties in their dehumanization and even some of their deaths, unfortunately. And the queer community is aware of that. And I'm becoming more aware of that. I'm still early on in my own journey, but it's just more and more evident to me how much we've dehumanized that people group and still continue to do so today. So that that for me is number one right now. Okay, great. That's awesome. So we're going to keep going down that thread. But on that subject, I'm curious, sure. what was the process for you of like becoming, because if you're coming from the evangelical space, yeah, I'm assuming you had a pretty staunch view of the queer community for a long time. Yeah. What changed your mind there? Did Trump change your mind on that too? No, um, you know, I've always, okay. So the way I kind of characterize my own journey is that I've always been someone who's taking what I've been taught seriously, right? So even my evangelical spaces, what are you taught? You love God above everything else. You love your neighbor as yourself. So I took those things seriously. So when I was 18, I worked at Starbucks for the first time. That was my first like real world, you know, um, worldly job, quote unquote, right? I'm, I'm now out with other people who aren't Christians. And some of the people I worked with were, were gay. And that was my first interaction ever, you know? And I didn't really know much about them. I, I wasn't part of the culture war. I was 17, you know, it wasn't a thing in my head. But that was the beginning of like, okay, they're just normal human beings. And one of the people um, I stayed in touch with like via Facebook, where not that we talked directly, but we, we always like each other's statuses kind of thing, you know? And, and one time he told me his story about how when he was 13 and he came out to his, his youth pastor at the time, his youth pastor called him an abomination and told him never to come back. And that like really stuck with me. I mean, I remember, I remember at like age 21, even though I wasn't 
the theologically affirming, right? Something in my head, I was just weeping. I'm reading this story like through Facebook Messenger, just crying. And I'm like, that is just so horrible. Like something is wrong. Even though I didn't have words for it yet, I knew that like something isn't right. And I always kind of get around the Bible though, right? Like, okay, I, I want to love these people, but the Bible or like, like these certain passages and how I've been taught to understand them. I've always been empathetic, maybe not an ally. I, I wouldn't go that far, but at a minimum, I, I was empathetic. And I intentionally made friends with people in that community, trying to prove to them that, that, that not all Christians hate them, right? I was trying to be that, that change. And over time, I just kind of progressed from okay, you know, um, the Bible's clear, but we can still love them kind of thing, right? To, well, like there's different ways to see it. Maybe I'm still not affirming theologically, but you know, but if people see it differently, they could be accepted that way. So now I'm like, you know, I think that not only does the Bible not really have categories for our current context, but realizing the, the how the Bible has been weaponized historically in America, and again, on behalf of white evangelicalism, to dehumanize entire people groups, I will not be on the wrong side of history 50 years from now. Because I'm convinced that 50 years from now, we're going to look back and say, what were they thinking using the Bible as a weapon to literally harm people in, in this community? So now I just choose to be on that side of the coin. Nice. Okay. So in that process, then, like you said, you're so kind of early in your journey there, you're still not like clear on how the Bible relates to the queer community. You're more like, it just can't be condemning or excluding them. So uh, to be very honest and transparent with you, I am, um, I'm convinced that at least the verses of the, the select handful that we have don't really speak to the situations that we're talking about. I'm more of the perspective of, you know, whatever Paul's talking about is more about, about power, power dynamics and, you know, other kinds of forms. However, I am new as far as queer theology goes. Like I'm, I'm starting to dip my toes into some of those waters. So I, I certainly am not, you know, someone who maybe could, 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 could debate uh, a conservative, uh, conservative like apologist, right, and defend my view well, but I just tend to lean in those circles based on what I have heard so far. So for me, I think that that honestly, and this ties into even how we view the Bible, but I, I'm more and more persuaded that the Bible is a book full of wisdom that is divinely inspired, but how do we use that wisdom to answer our modern day questions? And that's a whole different dynamic uh, for me now. So this fits into that. I assume on the journey you've been on, there was backlash. There were people that are still in the evangelical space who knew you, who think you're off, you've gone off the deep end. Is that true? Or was that not your experience? Oh, I mean, I was asked to leave my church last year over the, over this social media thing. I, I lost my entire church community. Because of what you were posting on social media? Because of new evangelicals. Yeah. Yes. I was there for six years, uh, fully playing music. We helped do a multi-church worship night that we really blew up in our area. Had over 600 people coming out with a hundred different churches represented at one point. It was amazing. And uh, I launched the evangelicals and four months later, my senior pastor said he can't have someone on the platform who is leading, aka hitting drums and saying things online that disagree with his teachings in theology. And the choice was either to step down from leading worship, right, or to stop doing my social media stuff. And at the time, this, the messages we were getting on social media were so encouraging of you're helping me save my faith, even though it was a painful decision, it was not a hard decision. Like it definitely, it, it gutted me. And there's a lot of drama that came out of that, that I'm still working through today. This happened less than a year ago. Um, but it was certainly the right decision, you know, to, to, to do it. And, uh, the, you know, they said, they said, well, you can still attend and you can serve in other places, but I'm an all in or all out kind of guy. No way I'm going to show up there being the main drummer in that stage and have people ask me every Sunday. So why aren't you there anymore? You know, 
know, it's like, oh, I don't have time. This is ridiculous, you know? So yeah, so I'm no longer at, at that church. And within a couple of months, I would say 90% of those relationships dissolved, you know, like they're just not a thing anymore. And being a very relational type six Enneagram loyalist person, that was probably by far the most painful part. It was kind of the illusion was, was fine. The, the trick was up. Oh, we're not really friends. We're bonded over your perception of right belief. And now that, that I don't have that, according to you, our friendship is gone. So that was like a wake up call to me too. Like, oh, I was way all in way differently than a lot of you were clearly. So there's that aspect of it too. So when your pastor was like, hey, I can't have someone on the platform advocating for these things that are contradicting things I'm teaching. Was it certain like theological points? Was it political views or... It was most, I mean, I, I, I've been kind of in trouble a little bit there in the past. We've, we had some one-on-ones with, you know, just my, my overall tone of voice and my own private social media platforms before New Evangelicals. So just for your listeners to know, New Evangelicals started December, 2020. Okay. So we're not really that old. So before that I've had other podcasts. I've, I've been, I've been this way. I've been on this journey for a long time. So my pastors talked to me b- before all this, you know, about, about, about certain things I would say on my, on my social media channels. So, you know, the, his issues though, for this particular moment where the way I talked about the queer community, about queer inclusion, which by the way, at the time I wasn't even fully affirming my, my perspective was, Hey, the church debates everything. Why can't this be a debated topic, but we still have full inclusion, right? Like that was my, my argument at the time, you know, kind of like how speaking in tongues, like, okay, usually people don't, don't, don't cease fellowship over that. Right. So why are we going to cease fellowship over this? So I wasn't even like advocating for hey, the Bible, maybe we have it wrong. I was trying to play the middle game at the time. He didn't like how I, how I talked about tithing and what happened was, um, was that I guess he preached on tithing one Sunday and that week on our platform. So on our Instagram, we, we always have in our stories, like community engagement. So I'll ask a question almost every day. What do you think about this? And then we'll just do anonymous responses. Right. And so that week, I just happened to talk about tithing. It was not related at all to my pastor's preaching. I mean, never has been. I've always talked about, about my church anonymously in a positive way. I was trying to show, Hey, you can be in evangelical spaces right? And, and be part of churches that are doing things well and still be rethinking things. That was the whole shtick at the time. He thought though that I was, you know, undermining his teaching on tithing because I guess of whatever I talked about on my Instagram platform, which again is weird because he's an older guy who doesn't have an Instagram. So I don't know who was feeding him this stuff. You know, he said that, that people have been talking about this, but how, you know, to him, no one ever came to me again, six years I've been there. No one came to me to talk about it, but anyway, there's a lot of layers to that, but those are some of the, the issues. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm cringing because <laughs> you guys, it's funny. Tim, doesn't know any of Tim just in full transparency you don't know anything about my background right I I know nothing you know nothing about my platform my message anything that I've got out there no because I know that you messaged me and you you shared a little bit but honestly and please don't be offended by this I get so many dms a day it's like it's hard to remember all of them so I just knew that we were going to have I was going to come on the show and talk so I I am I something something to do with 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 Bethel Church at one point is that correct that's about as as far as I go what? It's just I'm, I just want to say that on here because I feel like people who have been listening slash following me and hearing what you're saying are like, oh, you're just picking people to say things you want them to say. And I'm like, <laughs> we have not talked about this. No. You know what I mean? Like, our, am we, I that on the nose in this conversation? Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> oh, oh, it's goodness. awkward. That's, I mean, that's why I felt compelled enough to need to say something because I'm like, you're saying things that I've said for a long time, and I'm just like, oh God, this is awful. It's awful. So um, yeah, yeah. But that's also part of why I appreciate what you're doing and the message you're putting out there and things you're addressing and the accountability you're calling into all this. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so necessary and important. So I love just for the record, I love what you do. I'm so glad. Thank you. It's it's an honor to have such a beautiful mustache man telling me that. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Thank you. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I, I guess I want to go down the same road. So queer inclusion was one thing that was like yeah. a deal breaker in terms of you observing American evangelical, the world. Yeah. What are some other like big ones like that? They were like deal breakers for you. Well, you know, I, I think a deal breaker for me means like, what, 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 would I ever attend this church? That's like a deal breaker, right? And it's tough because there's a really weird line of how do you help progress, right? Maybe be in a place that maybe you don't see eye to eye on, but maybe you want to push them in that direction versus like, hey, if you don't see everything my way, I can't be a part of what you're doing. And it, it, it's a real murky situation. I don't, I don't claim to have any, any easy ways to define that because like, for example, on queer inclusion, I see that as, as like a humanization issue right? I'm not going to treat some people less than others, right? But on issues of maybe certain doctrines or even certain systems, how a church organizes, well, you know, maybe I find the CEO top-down, you know, model really problematic. Would, would I ever not be a church, part of a church that had that format if they wanted to flex things out and change? Maybe not. It, it, it would have to fit correctly, you know? Um, but I think another one of, for me, that is a, is a deal breaker would be people who are not open to exploring their own racial prejudice in history that relates to the evangelical American church historically. There seems to be a real big, you know, colorblindness push right now in many of these mainline evangelical churches. And honestly, when you start reading, and I, I am not an academic for your audience to know, I have some college under my belt, okay? I'm, I'm not some guy with a PhD or even a bachelor's degree. But when you just start reading basic history books by these academics, and they start explaining to you, you know, how even colorblindness was a tool of segregation, white evangelicalism to hide, you know, certain prejudices, all of a sudden, everything starts making a lot more sense. And I, I, I could not be part of a church that was not willing to have those tough conversations and willing to make the change, not just the public or verbal tokenizing, but the actual systemic, we have to reevaluate how we organize and, and who's leading what based on the reality of the deep history of racism in the church. Perhaps right now for me, that, that that's maybe all I'm seeing. Like every time, so I have a podcast too, right? And I interview a lot of just people. I mean, all kinds of academics and all kinds of people. Everyone from, from Kristen Dumay, who wrote Jesus and John, Wayne to Russell Moore. I've had them both on the show, you know, and honestly, even for both of them and others, you're like a couple of degrees away from racism. Like everything we talk about comes back to the threat of racism in America, historically, how some are reaping the benefits still, and how some are still suffering the consequences still. And so for me, that is becoming more and more like the umbrella that I'm, 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 I'm understanding that we're all kind of under. Um, so for me, that is, you know, it, it's bigger than just one other topic. It is like, it's an all encompassing thing that I'm realizing is so systemic that I've never realized before, which to me is just, I'm out of the matrix almost sometimes I feel like, you know, it's that kind of feeling. Anything else on that list? You like uh, these things? Misogyny, you know, complementarianism, theology. That so is for my audience, horrible. when you say complementarianism, theology, what do you mean by that? Sure. Yeah. So it's the idea that, you know, uh, we read certain passages extremely literally that are all encompassing that essentially say that women are not allowed to be in leadership in a church or able to pastor in a church. And it, what it really leads to ultimately, even though it's not always described this way, is a less than mentality that men are to lead and women are to follow. I mean, I'm not sure how plugged in you are, Mike, and how plugged in your audience is, but Doug Wilson, who I'm not sure if you know who he is, um, you know, he's a real, anyway, he's a real problem. I'll just say that he's someone who has, you know, he's written books. This is, this is, this is someone who John Piper has called a friend. Keep that in mind. There's your connection. He's written books on how slavery wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you in the nineties, this is real stuff. And today, one of his publishing companies called Canon Press released a quote by him. But essentially what it says is that women, according to the apostle Paul are called to make sandwiches for men. I'm not kidding you. 
So this stuff is rampant in these evangelical spaces, you know, and that's a very blunt way of putting it. But that ideology is is in other spaces more more subvertly, but it's, it still leads to that idea, right? Women are to love their husbands, women are to follow their husbands, and men are to lead well. So that idea for me at this point is totally a non-negotiable. It's bullshit. It needs to go, again, weaponizing of, of the Bible, certain passages to oppress another group at the benefit of another group. That, that's what it comes down to. Love it. Okay, so queer inclusion, racial equity, misogyny, anything else? Feels like a big <laughs> one for you on that list. I think one last one I might say, because I'm really off the fly here, right? I didn't, yeah. these questions weren't sent to me in a good way. I love off the cuff stuff. So if I'm missing some obvious one, I apologize. But I think one last one for me is the hardline absolutism, right? Of, of evangelical spaces. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt a, B, C, D, and E. I mean, a classic example of this is, do you want to know where you're going to go when you die? Do you want to have 100% confidence that when you die, if you die tonight, you go to heaven and not to hell? That kind of absolutism to me is so misguided in evangelical spaces. And it really, more than just not being aware of, of other religions, it's not even aware of its own tradition. <laughs> I mean, really, the Christian tradition is wide, it's deep, it's complicated, with, with major theologians having perspectives on all kinds of issues related to the Christian tradition. So the fact that we have a very hard-lined, absolutist mentality, specifically in American evangelical spaces, of this, the Bible is clear. If you don't pray a prayer, you're going to burn in hell forever. That is not the, the overall consensus in, in even Christianity historically, let alone, you know, out of the whole world. So I think the absolutism mentality of we're right, everyone else is wrong would be another one for me. Brilliant. Okay. And by the way, I'm not asking you to see if you check off things I'm hoping or waiting for you to say. I more <laughs> just wanted to give you space to, you know, Thank share you. the things that you are noticing, looking at, working toward. Okay. So we've got queer inclusion, gen uh, racial equality, misogyny, absolutism. Yeah. Anything else you want to put on that list? Was I think that, that's like, it for now. Those are okay. some, those are some pretty big ones. <laughs> Great. Great. Yeah, totally. For sure. So I guess another broad question I want to ask you just in terms of those things being on the table and you coming in with, you know, your critique and pulling this stuff apart. Yeah. What do you feel like the goal of the new evangelicals work is like, what are you guys trying yeah. to accomplish or what kind of effect would you like to have? I mean, it, that is, it's tough because I naturally am a very broad person. I don't like being confined right to one specific thing. If you couldn't tell by now. Right. I mean, it's just kind of who I am and it depends on what part you're talking about. Like for instance, we do zoom groups every Monday of all different kinds. We, we do a theology 101 Zoom group where we, we tackle some theological topic. We do um, a conversation circle Zoom group where people can actually talk and just engage with each other. So some of the work that we do is just giving people a safe place to just share their story without being judged for and saying, this happened to me. And guess what? We're going to believe you, right? So that is one thing that we do. And I hope that people continue to find us and be able to say, oh, thank God, I can share these things without being cast out of my church or told that I'm crazy, right? I would like for the evangelical church to start listening and start really doing some soul searching to start looking inward to see how systemic some of the issues are that it refuses to really take accountability for. I think one example of that, right, is I'm, I'm not sure, again, if how much your audience knows, but Mark Driscoll. I, hope, I think we all know Mark Driscoll by now, hopefully. You know, he's, he's pretty problematic. He's an abuser. There was a whole podcast that over 15 episodes chronicled his abuse. While that was happening, Mark was platformed at Gateway Church, which is the second largest church in America. Uh, he spoke uh, to pastors uh, during their conference, right? It's like, that is ridiculous 
that a, that a church, while this is all publicly coming out, would do this. So we wrote them a letter. We demanded accountability. We did our best. I mean, we don't have a lot of power. We're just a social media conglomerate, but that so that kind of stuff to me is important that 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 people like the mars hills or people like the gateways know we're watching you and we're not going to not make a stink whenever you do this shit because it is shit you know i mean what mark Driscoll's doing is harmful it is hurting people and he's making a lot of money still doing it including leading a marriage conference coming up as you know we're recording this in january so i think in march he's he's leading a marriage conference so i think that's another thing of what we're trying to do trying to bring awareness that hey the smoking mirrors that you see on Sunday morning, right? The production, right? That That is not the core of what's going on. That is the veneer. And underneath this is some pretty toxic systems that keep some people in power at the expense of others. And so we're trying to expose some of that too. So there's just, are just a few things. Again, they're, they're broad, but we're trying to kind of hit this from all angles. I think it's important to mention that, you know, I'm sure that, that at some point the word deconstruction is going to come up, you know, and, and certainly we're not claiming to be the people who are gatekeeping that. What, I, what, what we are here to do is for people who want to hang on to some form of Jesus, right? And I get why people don't. So I'm not saying you have to, but for those who want to, we're trying to offer better ways to, to dive into the robust Christian tradition that is there, that is not white evangelicalism in America. So, so that's very important of, of what we're trying to do, right? Is to get people better, I would argue more faithful frameworks of being a committed Jesus follower that is not part of the Christian nationalist, misogynistic, you know, homophobic, whatever, white evangelical spaces that a lot of us grew up in. Love it. Okay, listen, you brought up the word deconstruction. <laughs> I didn't do that. I know. I'll, I'll take it on the chin. <laughs> you did this. Okay, so I'm curious, just for, again, people just getting to know you from this space. If someone who is heavily plugged into or actively participating in the deconstruction process, would yeah. they find support, comfort, help in the work you're doing? Would they feel like it's kind of a direction they don't care about? Do you well, it really depends. I mean, you know, this is, it's really not frustrating, but it is like something that people are all fighting over what deconstruction is and isn't, you know, someone who runs an account that's a little more public was like, I'm not using that term anymore. It's become hijacked. That's totally fine. And honestly, we don't use that term super often. We use it when, when we need to describe it as like a catch-all phrase, but I get it. Deconstruction is not a movement. It is an explosion. Okay. A grenade was thrown and now there's people going in all different directions. Okay. And we are going in one direction for sure. But we realize that in this space, people are going in different directions and we applaud them. And we, we say, go for it, you know, and we're not here to encroach on, on your space or tell you what you're doing right or wrong. We're here to cheer you on and say, we get it. But for people who maybe are having a crisis of theology, not a crisis of faith, we're here for those people. That's what we exist to, um, to, to, to help out. That, that is the, the funnel that we're trying to catch while realizing that not everyone will fall into that funnel. And that is totally fine. There are other people and other accounts doing other kinds of healing work that we just can't do. And we're we, we recognize that, you know, and it's not a right or wrong thing. It's just a different path thing. And we, we encourage it. But for us, we still are centered on Jesus. We're still kind of theology nerds. We're still kind of curious. We're trying to figure out how all this, this shit works in the Christian tradition, you know? And so for us, we're still heading in that direction. The grenade example is... Our analogy is helpful. Well, yeah, I think the so. Thing, the thing so everyone so. has in common is what they're moving away from. Honestly, right? that is yeah. really the thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you say the term white Christian nationalist. Yeah. Right. I would love for you just, to, <laughs> it's like I'm setting some, it's like a wild turkey for you to go hunt. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, I would love, because that does feel like a strong theme in what you go after on social media. Um, totally. the things you critique and continue to present evidence to like expose like this is happening. What I would love for you to, because this is not something I talk about a ton in my world. I would love for you to speak to people who maybe don't think a ton about this or don't engage in this conversation actively. What are some things that you would bring to the table in terms of just first laying out, here's a thing that we have a name for or words for that we're recognizing as problematic. And here are the problems that I'm seeing. Okay, so this is something maybe I'm I'm almost most passionate about. This is what again launched right 2016. The Trump thing is what launched me into a lot of this stuff. We have to understand that first off, Trump was not um, out of thin air. The whole Trump thing and, and what you're seeing even now did not happen overnight. These seats have been planted a long, long time ago. Um, you know, I pick it up from the late 70s, 80s with Jerry Falwell, who planted Liberty University. Okay. Jerry Falwell was a raging segregationist. He was racist, homophobic. Jerry Falwell was the one who, after 9 11, blamed 9 11 on the gays and the, and the lesbians, according to his words, and, you know, the abortion clinics as God's judgment. That's who Jerry Falwell was. And he was responsible for starting. I know it's, it's intense shit, but it's the reality. This is why, you know, we do what we do because we, as a white evangelical, I was never taught that. Right. I wasn't taught about the people who the moral majority was founded off of that had these views of literally Jerry Falwell in particular, when Brown v. Board was decided and 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 uh, segregation was outlawed, so to speak. Right. And they were going to start school integration. Jerry Falwell had a sermon, God or Brown v. Board, which do you choose? And his argument, there's a quote in the sermon. It's why they circulated. He said, if the judges knew about God's decreed law, they would never have voted in favor of desegregation. The racists should stay separate. This is this is how the moral majority was formed. It was not over abortion rights. Okay, it was founded over school segregation. And we can spend a whole hour just unpacking all that shit because it's crazy. So, so this is what got Jerry Falwell politicized. This is what got evangelicals politicized. This, this is the beginning of evangelicalism in America becoming a political movement. The term moral majority is formed. Paul Weirich, another guy with Jerry Falwell, a, a conservative political strategist, they formed this movement. This is where you get satanic panic. This is where you get, you know, hide your kids. Liberals are coming for you. This is all the fuel. And then right-wing radio starts. Rush Limbaugh. Okay, Sean Hannity, they come on the scene, and now they're starting to really merge. So you have this this Christian ethic, which is really, really, you know, a nationalist ethic, now merging with right wing politics, and they're becoming more nationalistic in their tendencies. And nationalism simply is the idea of the dominant group, right, wanting to preserve its power and privilege at the expense of other groups in the name of equality. So nationalism is actually, it's a thing that exists anywhere. And in America, there's no exemption for it. And then when you have the Christian element, you know, of, oh, if we hide a lot of this language in Christian thinking, this is a special nation, this is a privileged nation by God, the founders were all Christian, um, et cetera. Now we have this Christian nationalism, where now we're using God language to justify and to, and to argue for why things should stay the way that they are, which again, what who, who benefits? mostly white men, you know, and really white people, they benefit in these systems while minority groups are historically disadvantaged. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Christian nationalism. And it has absolutely not only seeped into the evangelical church, but the evangelical church in America has become one of the leading places where this kind of ideology is spread, is propagated, and is promoted. So Trump knew that, and that's why Trump hopped on to the Pentecostal vote. I mean, I'm sure you've all seen the picture of Kerry Job, Sean Foy, the Bethel leaders, right, praying over the president. 
Trump is is not dumb. And he knew exactly the words to say. He knew how to court them, and he did. And he, I would argue, I, I know I'm going here, so stop whenever you need to, but this goes into dominionism theology, which I'm sure you're familiar with. You know, like we're really into some some really what seem like underground waters that are very public in the fruit that they produce, even if that language isn't used historically. So Christian nationalism is absolutely a major player, even though statistically it's a fringe perspective in Christian thought, it's ideology is well accepted by many other people without calling it Christian nationalism. Mm -hmm. That's how 80% of white evangelicals can vote for Trump in 2016 and in 2020, right? It wasn't just a one-off, it was twice. There's a reason for that. For the people who are listening who this might be a lot and new for, yeah, yeah. what does a Christian nationalist sound like when they're talking? What is something that a Christian nationalist would say, even if they don't even realize that's where they would fall categorically? It's, it's actually very straightforward. America is exceptional. And we are a privileged, special nation, and God has blessed our country immensely. And we have to make sure that we are giving thanks to God for this. And we have to protect our God-given freedoms. And there are people who want to destroy this country, and we have to stand up against them. And we have to make sure that we have religious freedom for all, which really is code for, for them only. And, you know, um, it's important that, that we are a country who's on its knees praying to God consistently. It's also important that, that we vote for politicians who want to bring America back to God. You know, and we have to be aware that there's real threats out there, like critical race theory that wants to destroy the church and wants to destroy our country and that's why there's an enemy out there that we have to be aware of and we have to pray to to, to defeat it and be mobilized that's kind of the idea okay so that didn't take much thinking at all no <laughs> i mean i grew up in it you know i grew up i grew up listening to this and like i said I, at one point I, I i believed a lot of it as a kid so is there anything from what you just said when you were playing that character that you're like some of this stuff is good or you're like hey anything i just said if that resonates with you on a deep level you should be concerned in looking at that while I wouldn't say America is the greatest country on earth or even the most free, you know, I'm grateful to live here, right? We certainly have privileges. I'm grateful for the, for the freedom to be able to say and have a podcast talking about Jesus with no persecution. That's a, certainly a privilege. I think all of us have that. Um, I'm grateful that, 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 you know, there is a government that, that does at times work well. Um, I'm grateful for this stuff. I don't think it's wrong to say that I, I enjoy living in the country, right? Or that I'm proud to be an American. I don't think, I don't think that, that, that's a bad thing. The problem is when, again, when this is all code for protecting our way of life. And by our, it always comes back to a white dominant culture. Okay, it's not so much about a skin color, right? Because that's how Candace Owens, for example, right? She's loved by, by, by conservatives. Why? Well, she really espouses a white dominant idea of, of life and of our, of our current you know, national affairs. So that is the problem is like those words are really dog whistle words, right? They're coded to trigger certain responses by people who are like, yeah, you're right. You know, religious freedom. I mean, a good example of this really quick. I interviewed a pastor, Samuel Duth. He's part of Awakened Church in San Diego. This church is way out there. They've had Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens has spoken there. Like they're way out there. I interviewed him and we talked about this. I said, talk to me about, about this um, religious freedom thing. And he's like, yeah, you know, we need religious freedom is good. I said, well, for who? Like for who? And he goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, do you support um, the pe uh, people who are queer, the right to get married? No. Okay. So it's not just, it's not really freedom for all, right? It's not, it's not religious freedom for all. It's, it's freedom for you to then oppress other people based on your religious worldview. That that's how this works. So whenever you hear terms like religious freedom or even freedom, 
from people in those perspectives, it's code words for our freedom at the expense of your freedom. Okay, so that concludes part one of this three-part series I'm doing with Tim. Isn't he awesome? Just really thankful for his voice and the work that he's doing, the perspective that he has, the willingness to just jump in because it's such a mess out there. For those of you who are deconstructing and who do recognize a huge need for yourself and for the environment that you've been a part of to have to do the work of pulling these things apart and holding your beliefs and ideologies accountable to the gospel and to the nature and heart of God. I want to let you guys know about the deconstruction space over here at NUMA. I lead a space called ashes. So every week we meet in a live Zoom call and we are working through deconstructive ideas, ways that we have had to like hold accountable the things that we were indoctrinated with growing up that we actually don't align with anymore. We've recognized there's actually a lot of other things that were embedded into the religious upbringings that we had that we need to like repent from. We need to hold accountable. We need to change our attitudes and beliefs about where these ideas came from and return to the Bible and hold that space accountable to love, to justice, to truth and to equity for everyone. So if that's something that you have a value for, that you need help with, that you'd like to do with a group of people, I'm gonna provide a link below for you to apply for the group. I will warn you, it's not for the faint of heart. If you're just like dipping your toe, it's not the group for you. If you're ready to throw down and just really face those scary questions that you've been avoiding, this is the place for you. So if that's something you're interested in, please check that link below. As well, I've provided all of Tim's handles, ways you can get a hold of the New Evangelicals and access their content. I would highly encourage you guys to follow them and everything they're doing and just listen to what they have to say. Just start exposing yourself to this conversation. So important. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.